Hey everyone, in order to support the podcast, we need the help of great advertisers. And in order to find great advertisers, we need to learn a little bit more about you. So if you enjoy the podcast, please help us out by taking a quick survey. Just go to podsurvey.com slash the ringer MLB show with hyphens between each word and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little bit better. That way we can impress potential advertisers with your purchasing power. Even if you've taken a podcast listener survey before, this one is specific to our show. So we'd really love for you to take it again. And once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. So again, that's podsurvey.com slash the ringer MLB show with hyphens between the words in the title. That's podsurvey.com slash the ringer MLB show. Welcome to the Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com, as is my co-host, Michael Bauman. Hello, Michael. Good morning. Games have begun, and so has this podcast. Games, well, you know, <laughs> spring practice. Exhibition yeah. games have begun. Technically, games have begun. We are going to get right into the podcast because we have a lot to talk about later in this episode. We are going to talk to San Diego Padres catcher slash pitcher slash every other position player, Christian Bethencourt, who is attempting to become the first true two-way player in the big leagues in quite a while. But we are joined now by brand new MLB.com columnist and MLB network contributor and podcast co-host and America's leading anti-intentional walk crusader, Joe Posnitsky. Hi, Joe. I, I like the way you said that, but wrong order. That last <laughs> thing is first and then the rest of it is fine. <laughs> right. So we'll get into that in a second, but tell us about the new job, because I'm always curious about when someone goes from a multi-sport gig to a single sport gig. We had Brian Kenny on this podcast and we talked to him about going from ESPN to MLB Network. And of course, I'm sure you'll still be blogging about everything and you're writing a Harry Houdini book. And so it's not just going to be baseball, but I know baseball has always been your first love. But why did you want to go to a place where you write exclusively about baseball? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting question, an interesting time. You know, I, I turned uh, 50 this year, which mm-hmm. uh, shouldn't mean anything, but but does anyway, because uh, just how it is. So, you know, you get to a point where you're going, OK, what do I want to do for the rest of my life, the rest of my career? Uh, my girls are getting older and, and you know, they're not going to be around forever, despite my intention to lock them in their rooms. So, you know, what do I want to do? And and, you know, I've been I've said it a million times. I mean, I'm just been incredibly lucky to be able to to write about sports all over the world and all these incredible places and do all these incredible things. But you know, you get to a point where it's like, all right, do I do I want to spend the next however many years going from sport to sport to sport, diving in, doing these these quick hits, going to great events, but events that I've been to many, many times? Uh, or do I want to do sort of the thing that's closest to my heart, which is baseball and and so th- this opportunity came along at exactly the moment when when I was thinking like that. And uh, so I, it's worked out great. Well, we're happy to have you writing about it even more often, if that's possible. I say <laughs> after reading your multiple Hall of Fame blog posts seemingly every day. But I read something that you wrote recently at MLB.com about baseball fans fondness for rules and adherence to rules and resistance to change. And this has been one of the more prominent conversations in baseball 
under Rob Manfred, who seems to be interested in shaking things up a little bit, or at least in considering changing things. And every time he sends up even some sort of trial balloon about maybe we could tinker with this, there is this enormous blowback. And we all write articles about how it's right or it's wrong. And the latest, of course, is the automatic intentional walk. And I know you'd prefer for there to be no intentional walk of of any kind. And we will get into that in a moment. But (laughs) But I know that there are probably strong opinions even on this call about the automatic intentional walk. But can we all agree that the fact that anyone feels strongly about this in either direction is a good example of how crazy baseball fans are about rules? Because this is Dude, so that, insignificant. That ship sailed <laughs> right. so long right. ago for me. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm like, I don't this know. is like this is uh, first of all, intentional walks are less frequent than ever before. Right. Much to your happiness, Joe, of course, managers yes. are calling for them less often. We know now that it usually doesn't make sense statistically to do it. And so teams are doing it less often. And so it doesn't happen that much. You're not saving that much time. We're talking about, what, 30 seconds each time, and it doesn't happen all that often. So it's kind of crazy to be very happy about those four intentional balls going away. <laughs> On the other hand, really, what are we losing here? We're we're losing, yes, the very, very occasional swing at a intentional ball or a wild pitch on intentional ball, but that's so rare that it almost never happens. And really, we're just trimming a little bit of the boring dead time from something that is entirely boring dead time. So I can't imagine getting too worked up about this either way. And yet, I think that maybe both of you feel strongly about this in, in some sense. And Joe, I know that that you do. And you were almost surprised by how you felt about this when it actually became a concrete thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird because I was just actually having this conversation with Mike Petriello over at MLB with StatCast, and, and Mike is has written, you know, tweeted out that he's like, oh, I don't really understand why anybody would be opposed to this. Like, what difference does it make? We're not losing anything. This makes a lot more sense. And he's right. I, and I've told him that he's right. And yet I totally disagree with him. It's weird how <laughs> only baseball and maybe a little bit of golf. Golf also has rules that everybody knows are stupid, but you're sort of still attached to them. The idea that you can sign the wrong scorecard and that gives you that score is so stupid that it's, it's <laughs> you know, but yet that you would never get a golf like traditionalist to 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 back off that rule. They would say it's stupid, but they're not backing off because it's tradition. So this is one that's kind of weird for me because I'm not going to miss those four balls. And I don't care that every so often something kind of goofy happened. I mean, that's fine. But, but you know, that's sort of like, to me, the intentional, I mean, the, the four pitches to do the intentional walk is like the kneel down at the end of a, an NFL game. It's like, oh, yeah, once every 30 years, you know, somebody will fumble and and Herman Edwards will return it for a touchdown and everybody will say, oh, a miracle at Meadowlands or whatever. But it almost never happens. And you, you don't stick with something so that every 30 years you get a little thrill. And yet they're not going away from it because it would feel weird to go away from it. It would feel weird if you could point to the clock and make the last 90 seconds disappear. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the one thing I feel weird about with this. It feels weird and i'm sure we'll get used to it and i'm sure it won't matter and i'm not i'm i'm really not worked up enough about it that i care particularly but it's weird that you could point to first base and take the ball out of the pitcher's hand and it's the manager actually walking the guy that's strange it feels 
different. It's not, there's nothing else in baseball quite like that where you can just, you know, I mean, obviously you can go to a bullpen and bring in a pitcher, but on the field action, you can't just say, okay, I've decided I'm walking that guy, even though obviously the managers have been walking those guys for years, but the pitcher actually had to do it. Weird that that's going to be gone. I just don't know what it's going to do. I mean, I I doubt it'll do anything, but is that going to make it easier for managers to intentionally walk people? Will they emotionally, you know, just say, okay, well, I'm walking that guy because I can right now. And with one point of the finger, I can move that guy to first. And then there's the, the time question. You know, everybody's saying, you know, it's it's almost insignificant how much time it's going to save. But will the manager always go to the mound to talk to the pitcher about intentionally walking guy before walking him? Or will he sort of just overrule whatever the pitcher says? Because if he goes out to the mound to talk about it, it adds time. So that's, that's what I think is going to happen. I think yeah. that managers are going to find new and, and innovative ways to delay the game while they're giving this signal, just like with the challenge. Well, there is a weird one that somebody that Mike actually Petriello was telling me he he saw somewhere he didn't come up with it. But let's say you you know haven't gotten your pitcher up in time, so you bring in a pitcher you have no intention of using tomorrow's starter. Just bring him in just to intentionally walk that guy since he doesn't have to throw any pitches, oh, and that God. gives the other guy enough time <laughs> to to warm up. I mean, that's that's how goofy this thing could be. I don't think. People will abuse it like that, but they can. And and like I said, I don't I don't really know the benefit. Yes, the intentional walk, you know, those four pitches were kind of boring. But if you're on the road, they gave the fans an opportunity to boo. Everybody sort of, you know, you sort of had to like be out there. Okay, I am intentionally walking this guy. This is this is, you know, it's sort of a little bit humiliating for the pitcher. It's there's something at least a little bit emotional about it that is gone. And I don't know that we're going to miss it. I doubt we're going to miss it. So I'm talking extensively about something I don't care that much about, but that's (laughs) baseball. That's sort of what baseball does to us. Uh, My, my thing is like, I miss a little bit that like, if you're going to surrender like that in the middle of the game, I feel like you ought to stand there and wear it. Yeah. But the big thing is like, this is part of this huge pace of play initiative. And rather than cutting down on pitching changes or the length of commercial breaks or any of the things that could actually substantially shorten the game, or at least make it feel shorter, they're doing this thing that isn't going to save time and then declaring victory. And it's just, it feels insulting that that Major League Baseball is is promoting this and expecting us to believe it's actually going to save time. I think it's a mistake to say this is a time saver. I think that's, I think if, if the commissioner in baseball said, look, we all know it's stupid. Uh, it's just, it's just dead time. We don't care about it. So we're getting rid of it. Well, at least you could argue it on those terms. You could say, well, I don't think it is dead time. Or you could say, absolutely. I thought that they should have done this 25 years ago, whatever. But if you start talking about it as an actual time saving thing, then you're fighting on very low ground. I mean, there's it doesn't save time. It's not going to save any significant amount of time for sure. You know, and and speaking of dead time, I mean, you see the guy starting to intentionally walk somebody. That's the great time to go get a beer. I mean, there's you know, this is that that kind of dead time to me isn't nearly as as sort of disruptive to the pace of play as dead time is between pitches 
bringing in the you know relievers mid inning and that sort of thing. So yeah, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a time saver. You could make the argument it makes the game a little bit crisper and and it gets rid of something that was kind of outdated and stupid. And I think you you could win that argument, but you can't win the argument that it saves time. It's partly just a low hanging fruit, or at least right. a easier right. thing to do, right? I mean, Rob Manfred would probably like to do other things if he could, but he can't do them unilaterally. Or if he could, he'd risk angering the Players Association and causing even bigger problems. So it's, it's. I don't know if it's declaring victory so much as it's just a, it's a one small, easy thing that he can do right. and, and that everyone's kind of okay with. It's, it's declaring that we would have victory, but the union's not cooperating with what we tell them to do as if that's mm-hmm. the union's job. Uh-huh. which is another infuriating part of this story. Like, I'm not like I'm with Joe. I don't give a damn about losing the four intentional balls. It's just all the little things around the edges that just really it's just feels insidious, which is a preposterous thing to say about such a trivial rule change. But yeah, that's the whole point of this conversation. I guess. Right. And I don't think baseball fans, you know, and football fans, basketball fans, if, if a rule change makes sense, like on the surface, they're like, hey, let's do it. Why not? I mean, let's, you know, let's 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 kick off from the 30 now. Maybe that'll, you know, get fewer uh, returns. Oh, now let's kick off from the 25. Let's kick off from the 35. They don't it doesn't it doesn't have this this feeling. But every change that's made in baseball is is felt so deeply because the sport has been around for so long because people are so attached to it. and They tie so much of their own emotions in it that. A change that just feels kind of, well, that's fine. It doesn't hurt the game, but I don't see how it helps the game. Feels a little frivolous. I think that's that's the feeling. That the feeling is not, hey, this is horrible and the game is forever gonna No, nobody cares. Nobody cares about those four pitches. But it's like, why? Why are we doing this? Like, is this what what is the point? What is what are we going to at the after this rule change goes into place? Will there be 1% more enjoyment in baseball? And I think it'd be tough to make the argument that there would be. And that's why I thought it was so interesting. You brought up the example of the Constitution in your your column about this, because like baseball is is like that, that it's a, an entirely man-made thing where the rules change all the time, but it got calcified so far in the past. And even though like if modern baseball started in 1901 or 1920, there it came after just such a wild yes. you know, couple decades of rule changes and the same with the, the U.S. Constitution. But because we're so far removed from that and because it, that great period of change was followed by a long period of stasis, we now think of it as like this this divinely ordained, perfect creation that's in perfect equilibrium when in reality, it's the kind of thing we ought to be tinkering a little bit here and there as our society evolves. Like we shouldn't, but you know, we've allowed ourselves to become hostage to what people thought was best a hundred or 250 years ago. And there was an attempt to eliminate the intentional walk, right? A little known attempt in 1920, I think it was, and and it didn't work because the umpires had to decide what was an intentional ball and what wasn't, and no one could agree on how to do that, as I understand it. And yeah, so- yeah. The thing I think is, I think you, uh, you know, look, you know me, I, I I want the intentional walk gone. I would put that back in the hands. I think that's one of the easier judgments to make. Okay, you don't have to do an intentional ball. But if a pitcher does not throw a strike, you know, it's a four pitch walk. You could leave that to umpire discretion, whether he pitched around that guy and refused to, to throw a ball over the plate. 
And to me, you could make a rule like that, and you could make an intentional walk two bases or whatever you wanted to do to try to uh, discourage it. Uh, that's not coming. It's just my own little fantasy world. But we ask umpires to do a lot of things based on their own discretion, based on their own uh, their own sense of, of of the game, and that certainly could be one of them. I don't think that's that hard. I think you know when a guy is is purposely trying to pitch out around somebody. And I'd also add this. If you have a guy trying to pitch around somebody, it's not the same as intentionally walking him because mm-hmm. pitching around somebody is not that easy. If you yeah. have the catcher in the crouch and you're trying to keep the ball away, you know, a lot of hitters can go out of the zone while pitches really come into play. It's a, it's a different thing when you're trying to actually pitch around somebody versus trying to just basically throw four lobs to the catcher. And that, mm-hmm. that fear of umpire subjectivity is like, I've long been a proponent of MLB instituting a bullshit, no bullshit rule where you (laughs) you just empower the the umpire to say, like, I don't care if this is technically within the letter of the law. This is bullshit. And so that's, (laughs) you know, but that takes care of the intentional walk that takes care of the the Utley slide rule that takes care of that infuriating instant replay. Did he come off the base on the on a stolen base attempt for three or four high definition frames? But, you know, we'd never do it because we're terrified of subjectivity. And, and no, and, it would and work. I, like it would absolutely it, work, but we'll, it'll never happen. No, it would work. And, and you know what? It used to work like that. It used to be that the umpire had complete control of the game. And that's, you know, the famous line about that's a strike yesterday. It might be a strike tomorrow, but today I'm umpire and it's not a strike. Whatever you think of that. And obviously, look, I'm just as guilty as anybody of looking at pitch FX versus versus the actual strike ball call. I'm I'm as guilty as anybody of being angry at umpires who can't call the strike. But that said, I think this is what soccer has. I think soccer and and there might be people that that don't agree with it, but soccer the the referee controls the game, controls the pace of the game, controls the the rhythm of the game, makes decisions whether a penalty or not a penalty on very very close calls and you know, and and it's sort of accepted. Hey, this is imperfect, but this is this is a human game, and that's what we want. We've gone away from that in all of our American sports. Baseball is sort of the last one to sort of hold out for a little while, but now baseball's becoming as trying to take as much subjectivity out of the umpire's hand as as we've taken out of the referee's hand, and in in all the other sports. And you know, that's. I would rather see your game. I really would. I'd rather see a game where an umpire got to say, yeah, you know what? The, you know what you were trying to do there. I mean, come on. It's, yeah. You know, no, it's, you're like, just, it, you know what you were trying to do. It's, oh my God. Like it's the, the constant search for loopholes, the legalism, like, no, like just knock it off. Just play the game. And if there was, you know, if they empowered, I'm making a case for literal authoritarianism but this is fine because it's you know it's just a game and i'm sticking to sports but like you can have that one person arbiter in a in a situation like this where you know it it's not literal life and death it's it's a game it's an entertainment product and you know just stop changing pitchers five times in an inning doesn't actually do any good yeah, and I think you've just nailed on what I think is the is the eternal conflict in sports, which is that the effort to win and the effort to entertain are in conflict. Mm-hmm. So teams are not they can say, yeah, we're in the entertainment business and every so often you'll have a flashy player or somebody who's interesting like that. 
but they're not. They're in the winning business. Their, their job is to win the game. And if, and if they have to make the game duller than dirt, the way the Pat Riley Knicks did, they'll do that. You know, if, if they have to make the game, you know, if you, if you figure out, as, as baseball people have figured out, that the strikeout, you would rather have strikeouts than, than weak contact. So you you go ahead and strike out thirty percent of the time, or walk thirty you know strike out walk thirty three percent of the time, and it's boring for the fans. You still hey that's that's how we win, and so that's where the rules come in, and that's where you know the league has to be on the lookout for the fans, the the, the managers and the and the general managers and the players. They'll look out for themselves. They'll they'll do whatever they can within the rules to win. You have to create the rules, in my view that make it the most entertaining game for the fan. And that's that's really a conflict, I think. Last thing, a lot of people say, why are we even talking about this? Why do we keep having this conversation? Everyone who likes baseball still mostly likes baseball. We all still like baseball, even as we talk about ways to fix it. Everyone's making tons of money. The teams are getting richer than they ever were. The players, even if they're getting a lower share of the revenue, they're still getting more money than they ever were. Attendance is high. We can watch any baseball game whenever we want, wherever we are. (laughs) Things are great. Why are we complaining? And, you know, two days ago, there was a New York Times article that just said, help us fix baseball. And it showed uh, like an unraveling baseball with the threads all coming out (laughs) as if the, the game is just in disarray. And why do we do this? And I think... I think there are some legitimate reasons. Maybe some of it is just lamenting that baseball doesn't have the primacy it once did in American culture. And I don't think there's anything you can do about that. There's just more competition for entertainment these days. You're never going to have baseball be the mono sport it used to be. And I, I think it's true that, you know, it still appeals to us people who are already converts, but I don't think this question would keep coming up if there were no problem. If there were no reason for it to come up, I don't think it would keep coming up. I think there is a real reason to talk about this, and that's that baseball takes a really long time relative to how long it used to take. And that's not true really for every sport. Every sport maybe has more commercials and is presented in a way that takes more time, but the actual play doesn't. But baseball does. You can look back decades ago and it it was just a, a much, much quicker game. And it can't be a good thing for it to take this much longer in an environment where there's so much else to do and there's so much other entertainment competing for people's attention. Right. So it it seems like a worthwhile question, even if people get sick of it being brought up constantly. There's a reason why it's being brought up. And you have to think that down the road, it would be better for baseball to be quick and to provide the same entertainment in a shorter time than to take three hours or three hours plus and have to sell people on that. Right. I mean, there's a real reason to bring up this question every year. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of things that that strike me with what you're saying. One is you'll hear a lot of baseball fans say, well, I don't see what the problem is. We're getting more baseball, more baseball is better. Right. That's not true. We're not getting any more baseball. We're <laughs> right. getting the same 27 outs we always got. We're not getting a lot more runs. We're not getting more baseball. We're getting more dead time. And I, it really bothers me that baseball fans can't grasp that. They know it's true. You know instinctively that games take longer to do exactly the same things because you know the players move slower. There are more commercials. There are more pitching changes. 
that's not good. That's that's not a good thing for the game. And I'm not saying we have to go back to the day of two hour, 10 minute games, but let's let's make the game as crisp as you can make it as active Mm -hmm. as you can. So I think that's one. The second thing I would say is, you know, people have been have been saying baseball is dead for 50 years. Right. Uh, you know, and, and longer, and, well, way longer, you can go back a hundred years, but you go back to the late sixties. That's really when the baseball is dead thing just became a, just a mantra. I mean, everybody was talking about baseball being dead. I mean, the commissioners were talking about baseball dying. I mean, it was, it was bad. You know what? Baseball was losing during that time. I mean, people say, mm-hmm. oh, well, people had said it forever, but that's exactly when football kind of surpassed baseball in the, in the national, uh, you know, mindset. I mean, some of the things they were saying were true. Some of the fans we were losing. Baseball was losing some of those fans in in that time period. And we're we're in another one of those time periods where, you know, guys like us who who sort of love the game and grew up with the game and all of that, yeah, we're fine. But, you know, for people of my daughter's generation, you know, my daughter went to a Washington Nationals game. She was at a camp and she went to a Washington Nationals game with about 20 other kids her age. And she said, I was the only one that knew anything about baseball. And my mm-hmm. daughter knows nothing about baseball. Nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> only what she's overheard me say on podcasts. That's it. Literally nothing else. Uh, and yet she was the expert of this group. And so it is true that it, it that that when trying to reach out to young people, Baseball is not as cool as some of the other sports and and maybe never will be, but it certainly can improve along those lines. I think baseball should be active in trying to make the game a little bit better and a little bit more exciting and a little bit crisper for the next generation. Baseball is not going to change. It is the game is what the game is. But I do think that that all of us who sort of just look at any change as negative, I always get every every time I write something about any possible change. I get an email from somebody saying, well, look, if somebody doesn't want to, you know, put three hours into a game, they don't deserve to be a baseball fan. That's the <laughs> worst, the worst possible attitude you can have about this game. If you love this game, you want the next generation to love it, too. And and I do think there are ways that uh, that can be done. All right. Well, you can read Joe regularly now at MLB.com. If you haven't read his baseball books, The Soul of Baseball and The Machine, you should. His most recent book is The Secret of Golf, the story of Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas. You can also find him writing at JoePoznanski.com and on Twitter at JayPoznanski. And you can listen to the podcast with Michael Shore, which is one of my favorite shows. So, Joe, thank you very much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be right back with the Padres, Christian Bethencourt. Do you ever find that when you're out of the house, maybe relaxing with family and friends, maybe at a baseball game, get that nagging feeling? Did I close the window? Did I lock the door? You don't know. It can drive you nuts. But you don't have to worry about it when you've got Simply Safe home security. It's a nice extra layer of protection to know Simply Safe is there because thanks to its arsenal of sensors intended to protect your entire home and keep your family safe, Simply Safe offers an extra layer of protection that will put your mind at ease. It's like a fix for forgetfulness. Simply Safe just released a brand new high definition security camera that connects your security system to your smartphone. Smartphone, so you can see everything that's going on in your home, no matter where you are, no more wondering. And best of all, Simply Safe got rid of everything that makes most home security systems such a pain. No long-term contracts, no hidden fees. They won't gouge you. It's just 15 bucks a month. That's three times less than what other companies charge. So go check out the new camera today. You'll get an exclusive 10% discount when you go to simplysafe.com/ringer. That's simplysafe.com/ringer. 
So we are joined now by a man who has to be one of the busiest people in spring training this year. It's Padres player. I'm just going to say player. I'm not going to put any <laughs> limits or any labels on him. <laughs> yeah, Christian Bethencourt. Hey, Christian, how are you? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Good. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, happy to. So I know that you've heard all the jokes about how you reported to spring training three different times. You're a pitcher, you're a position player, you're a catcher. Do you identify as one more so than the other still? Um, no, I mean, I'm just I'm just another player of the team. I mean, they can call me however they want, pitcher, catcher, outfield. They every day make jokes, make jokes like, "What position you're in today? What what you practicing? What's your position today? Catcher, pitcher, outfield." But um, you know, I mean, I'm just a, I'm just as far as the team as them, and you know, one of the players that you know want to help the team to win a lot of ball games and. And you know, uh, do the best or the best we can. So, part of the reason the jokes are about that are so funny is that you're really doing two, maybe three full time jobs all at once. And there's a you know, there's an overlap between what pitchers do and what catchers do and what outfielders do. But what does your your training schedule look like? How do you fit in you know, throwing your bullpens and batting practice and all that stuff? Uh, well, um, for now, it's been pretty simple. Uh, I've been doing two days as a catcher. One day as a pitcher, two days as a catcher, one day as a pitcher, two days as a catcher, one as a pitcher. And um, it's been pretty easy. I mean, I thought it was uh, it's going to be harder, but um, it's, it's, it's been pretty easy. Um, and uh, for now, I don't know uh, what's going to be like the, the routine for the next few days because the games uh, are about to start. So, you know, I'm just I'm just um, happy. I feel like I'm in a really good position and, you know, waiting um, to see how it goes. And I know that you'd done the multi-position thing, you know, way back, going back to Little League. But before last season, when you played catcher and left field and right field and pitched a couple times and even second base for an out, you hadn't done that at all as a professional. You'd been exclusively a catcher. So how difficult was that adjustment? Did you sort of impress yourself as a pitcher? Because everyone, when we saw you for the first time pitch and you were hitting 96, everyone was kind of blown away by that. But I assume that you knew you had that in you. Uh, well, it was it was always intriguing because a lot of people will ask me, uh, just like they ask every other guy that has a really good arm, how hard do you throw for the mound? How hard do you throw for the mound? But I mean, you never really have an answer until you actually get on the mound and throw the ball. So uh, now when they ask me again, if they don't know I'm a pitcher, now I have an answer for them. So, you know, I always, um, you know, it's not a secret. I always knew I had a really good arm. So I always knew I could get at least like 94. So it's a little bit more than uh, than what I was expecting. So I guess um, that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I mean, your calling card as a defensive catcher has always been at least partially your arm. I remember the Futures game where you were up against Billy Hamilton. But at the same time, there's like there's having a good arm for a position player. And then there's 94 off the mound and you're up to 97, 98 now. So, you know, at what point did you realize that like you had the the physical ability to to pitch? You know, I never really had that never really went through my mind, you know. I used to pitch when I was um, literally when I was like 10, 12, 13 years old. But, um, you know, you can um, really tell that's the position you want because I, I couldn't really tell that was the thing I wanted to do because I always was a catcher, shortstop, and I was playing some outfield too when I was um, in Little League. So I couldn't really tell when I was um, 
available or when I was comfortable being a pitcher until now. And, you know, I'm just um, getting used to it. I'm getting used to the role, getting um, comfortable in the mound. And I feel like um, I've been putting a lot of hard work. And, um, like, right now I'm pretty comfortable in the position I am. Mm-hmm. And when did it enter your mind that this is something you could do? Because I think when a lot of people saw you pitch off the mound last year, they were impressed and they said, wow, maybe he can be a, a two-way player. But when did you start thinking that? And when did the team approach you about it? Uh, well, I started thinking um, I could be a two-way player after after a pitch in Panama. I played one uh-huh. down there and... Um, you know, that was, that was like the challenge. That was like the first challenge for me. You know, if you can do it here, um, you know, he can lead you a good way so you can try to do it in spring training and, you know, see how it goes. And, um, the team approached me when, well, the second time I pitched after a couple of weeks later, they, they come into the office and made it a proposal. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm always, I've always been a team player and, you know, want to, win ball games and you know i feel like um um they had another plans uh at the catching position so i feel like you know um i just want to help the team i just want to be on the team and and you know i'll help i'll help you in any ways you want so that's why that was my answer so i say yes to it and you know now now on um now like i like i've been telling you now i'm in a really good position and uh, hopefully all these um goes well and, you know, that's probably the answer most players would give if they were asked, do you want to do something unorthodox to help the team? But, you know, you're a, a career 223 hitter, and this is something that, you know, you have the ability to to play both ways. But if you were hitting 323, do you think the Padres would have asked you to to pitch part-time, even if knowing that you had this ability? You know, um, I don't really have an answer for that because, you know, you you never... Uh, you don't really know if you're hitting like, let's just say, three twenty or whatever you hit in the good uh, buying average. They'll ask you that. I mean, but they will. I, I'm pretty sure that um, that that question will be will uh, will still on the back of their mind. Like, you know, he has like an arm. You know, one day things doesn't go well, we can you know put him. Uh, we can always put him on the mount. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And who's been coaching you? Who are you working with in Panama this winter? And, and who's sort of overseeing your transition now in spring training? Well, I started when I was uh, here uh, doing rehab for my last injury at the end of the season. And um, I was working uh, mostly with Sean Cole. I was being supervised by uh, Mark Pryor. And here, uh, and now here in spring training, I'm working with the pitching coach and the bullpen coach. It's got to be pretty wild learning from Mark Breyer. What what he's what's he like as a coach? You know he's um you know he was a really good pitcher, um, very smart guy, and uh, guy that knows how to talk to their players and teach their players. So I'm trying to just um, get as many uh, as much as information I can from him. Yeah, how have you improved or or changed? Whether it's with the pitches you throw or with your delivery, because that was. One of the things that was so impressive last year when you were throwing 96, it was without practice. You know, you you didn't even look totally like a pitcher, and yet you were coming out there and throwing that hard. So how has your delivery changed and your, your repertoire, too? The first thing I would start working was was on my delivery. And, um, you know, like every pitcher, I mean, they ask you to use your legs and, you know, all their stuff, like you glove instead of going side to side, like you're pulling. 
you know, going up and down and, you know, my landing or my front food, those are things that I've been um, working on it. And um, I think I, pr- I improved pretty well. So if you're coming into a game, if you're playing outfield or catching and they bring you in in relief, can you get warm in eight pitches? Because usually a relief pitcher has, you know, the better part of an inning to stretch and get loose and then throw and finally get up to full readiness. You know, how, how quickly can you turn that around? I already find now that I'm a, I'm one of those guys that don't need that many pitches to warm up. So I guess uh, while I'm still on left field, I can uh, make some warm up pitches with the center field or with the person uh, with I'm throwing down on the line. Or you know, if you had a chance to go in the, in the inning before to get a few warm up pitches in the bullpen, and you know, just um, go to left field or right field whenever. And, and be ready just to whenever they call me, you know, I'll be able to do that. And last year when we saw you throw, you threw some really slow pitches too. You mixed in some like 50 mile per hour pitches. I don't know whether you call it a curve or what, but do you still expect to do that? What What are your off-speed pitches looking like now? That wasn't really an off-speed. I mean, I just threw the ball. It was just a fastball grip and I just threw the ball yeah. like the softest There's I can. Beyond off-speed. <laughs> yeah, he was he was just he was just me flipping the ball to the catcher basically. Well, right now I'm working um change up and slider. Uh-huh. And so I mean change up that can be a pitch that can take guys years to pick up even if they've been practicing since they were a kid. So how is that coming along for you? Um change is actually better than than the slider. So so I'm not going to say I'm working more in one and the other. So I'm trying to, you know, since since this is something new to me, I've been putting a lot of working on the change I've been the slider. Uh-huh. So I, I read that you had sort of a, a harder slider with cutter action. Then you were trying to slow it down, maybe make it a little bigger. You know, is that still what you're trying to do? And what's the, the difference, you know, between the grip, between your delivery release? You know, how do you how do you sort of alter the break on a pitch like that? The first uh, the first uh, few times, the first few games in Panama, you know, when I was um, trying to use my slider, um, um, it was more like a cutter. It was very short, and uh, I gave a couple hits, couple hard, uh, hard hit balls with the cutter. So I find out that you know that's uh, pretty much like um, a lot of players' bat speed. So you know I needed to get something, something bigger, and I'm, I'm maybe a little slower, so I can you know change their their eye speed and and you know have uh, something with more depth down down in the strike zone. So that's um, basically what I'm working on. Has this changed who you associate with on the team? Because I know that pitchers tend to hang out with pitchers and position players tend to hang out with position players. Can you kind of just talk to anyone and hang out with anyone now because you belong to both groups? Uh, well, you know, I was um, always a catcher. So a catcher has to have right. um, good communication with the pitcher. So, you know, I'm still on both sides. Mm-hmm. So I remember talking to uh, Thomas Ashelman, who's a, a prospect in the Phillies organization. He was a converted catcher and he said that being a catcher sort of helped him seeing seeing the game from from that angle helped him sort of think through pitching is that similar to your experience you just going up there you know we talked to a couple pitchers who just said whatever the catcher throws down that's that's what i'm throwing so you know are you second guessing your catcher at all when you're on the mound in in game situations well um you know i've always been a fan the the pitcher the pitcher has to throw their catcher so i feel like uh you know whenever i'm pitching and whoever is catching you know, I'm um, I'm gonna trust him, and you know, I'm just gonna uh, follow him until uh, uh, follow into my audience. 
Yeah, and I imagine if to a certain extent, like if you're shaking off Austin Hedges, then you get back behind the plate and the pitchers start shaking you off, then then that might cause some problems. Uh yeah. Uh yeah. I mean, you know, because uh, um the pitcher I'm gonna be catching they might be saying, you know, you are well when you're when you're pitching, you know, you you're not checking anybody and or you're shaking Austin Hedges, so you can but you can't get mad at me because I'm checking you, so you know, every pitcher is every pitcher is different. I mean, a lot of times, um, I've been a catcher my whole life. A lot of times, um, you try to follow the report, but sometimes the pitcher, in that moment, in that situation, he feel he feels comfortable with another pitcher or another pitch. So you as a catcher, you also have to trust your pitcher. So if you if you feel comfortable with it, I mean, you just go with it. Mm-hmm. And Andy Green seems like a pretty creative, unorthodox manager, seems like a, a good guy to be in charge of this experiment. So how much have you and he talked about what it will look like? Like, do you expect to be pitching in one game and then being a position player in the next game? Or do you expect to go back and forth within the same game? We haven't um, really talked about game situations, but, um, you know, he, uh, he's he been really good at it, talking to me and and you know, trying to uh, talk me and introduce me to to that role, and um, you know, he always like you know keep me motivating, and you know, those are the things you want to hear from your managers, knowing that you know you're gonna have a whole new different role in your career, and and well, at least this year, and uh, and you know, he's been pretty pretty helpful with it. Yeah. Did you do anything different at all with your exercise or conditioning this winter? Because I'd imagine that would be exhausting. You know, if you're coming in for an inning and then they maybe move you to the outfield or they move you behind the plate, what most guys only have to do one and then they can rest and you might have to, to do twice as much work. Well, uh, people, a lot of people ask me that if I have to do twice the work on, but, you know, I'm still doing uh, just as much as work as everybody else do. And, you know, the thing is just like, if I'm going to the weight room, I mean, I just got to decide either I'm doing the pitcher workout or I'm doing the position player workout. And, you know, when I, when I have to do my conditioning, I mean, I've been doing my position player conditioning. So, And I mean, there's, you're playing two pretty demanding positions. I mean, there, you talk about pitchers and catchers are the two positions that you have to build in rest. And, you know, if you're not starting a catcher every day, or if you're coming into the bullpen, maybe that fatigue doesn't build up the same way over the long term. but are you, you know, start, are you working with the Padres to sort of make sure that you don't wear down over the, the course of the season? Or is that just conditioning too? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they're managing and they're trying to, uh, Put a work on me uh, without me getting tired in the middle of the season or towards the end of the season. So, you know, I trust, I trust, um, I trust the, the process and the work they're, they're trying to make me do and uh, the work I've been doing. So, um, hopefully, like I said, hopefully everything goes well and you know I make it for the whole season uh, healthy. You found that that compounds at all? Like, you know, if you come in, do you get tired more quickly on the mound if you had caught nine innings the day before? Well, not really. I haven't really felt it. Even when I was spent, I was pitching in Panama. Uh, one day I threw three innings, and you know I felt you know pretty good the next day. So I couldn't I couldn't really tell the difference. Mm-hmm. 
And have you talked to anyone who has done something similar in the past? It's been a long time since, you know, Brooks Kieschnick or, or Micah Owings. And those guys were, I mean, not everyone who's done the two-way player thing has done pitching and catching, which is really difficult. So is there anyone you can even ask for advice about this? Or is it just so rare that there isn't that many people to talk to? Uh, well, not really. I mean, I don't I don't really have, I, I haven't really had a chance to met or talked to somebody that play in both ways in a game. Mm-hmm. My last one's sort of similar. You talk about people just, you know, sitting around chatting idly about, oh, what do you throw off the mound? You know, how how good an arm does this guy have? Is there somebody else that people are talking about, like, that could maybe go both ways if if uh, given the opportunity? That's, um, you know, I guess, like, you don't plan to have those kind of players that just, you know, they just come up and, you know, um, yeah, but make a decision. do you like sit around so you know you see a guy with a good arm at third base they're like you know i bet that guy could hit 95 and and uh spin a curveball or whatever i mean yeah i mean you see a lot of a lot of guys that have a really good arm on the field and i mean you always wonder i mean well if he you put a slider on him you teach him some mechanics i mean how good can, can he be on the mound so i mean there's always gonna be people that suggest that or people that ask those questions and but like I said you know you never um you don't you don't you don't go out there and try to find a player that can do both ways I mean I guess it just it just happened and when you know when it happens I mean you just gotta be ready and you know have a good mentality and be positive about it have people asked you at all about Shohei Otani the Japanese player who who pitches and and hits and has had a lot of success doing that have you looked at him at all uh no not really i mean i've seen him i've seen videos and stuff from him but uh no yeah. not really mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we can end it there. You can find Christian on Twitter at ChristianBeth27, and you can find him all over the diamond and the mound and everywhere this season and this spring training. And we wish you the best with this experiment. Hope it goes well. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. All right, everyone. That is it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Today's episode was brought to you by the Ringer's Culture Podcast, The Watch. This week, Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald discuss the Oscars and talk to Lena Dunham, the star of HBO's TV show Girls. You can subscribe to The Watch at iTunes.com slash The Ringer or wherever you get podcasts.